Oh, the red button's gone on. <laughs> Welcome to our latest podcast. It's Michael here, and this week Ben and I are joined by Caroline Flynn. She takes us on her journey through self-kindness, the personal practices that help her stay connected, and how she manages that critical voice in her head that can sometimes prevent her, and us all, from nurturing ourselves in challenging times. Whilst this is her first ever podcast, you'll soon realise that she's a natural, and trust me when I say, this one's a good one. I'm quite nervous. Are you? Is that normal? This is my first ever podcast. I'm feeling quite... There you go. Well, welcome. (laughs) It's lovely to have you with us, Caroline. It's funny that Michael said he's been on a digital detox this weekend from everything, which probably explains why there was a sudden excitement in his email this morning to see that you'd responded over the weekend to say you could join us today. (laughs) So for the benefit of the listener, we've got Caroline Flynn with us today, who we've wanted on our podcast for quite a while. And Caroline is a mother of two boys under the age of four and is quite hard to get hold of sometimes because she has a very wide and varied um, life. And so it's really lovely to have you with us, Caroline. We've been really super excited to know that you can join us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It really is. And yeah, busy, definitely. So with what we've been doing recently, Caroline, Michael and I have been, you know, scrabbling around for content or what we're going to talk about this time. So it's all you, it's all on you this time, Caroline, because <laughs> we're just, you know, we said, right, Caroline, no pressure. And what we've done, we had a lovely chat with Max the other week, and we'll just talk about whatever is coming up for each of us, really. And then we can riff a little bit on our own take on whatever we talk about. And so to see the, the plethora of things that are clearly going through your mind in the email you sent over the weekend, we could talk about this, and we could talk about this, and we could talk about this. Do you know what it is? It's just like, oh my gosh, I get to talk to adults for a full hour. <laughs> Very exciting. So there were some, yeah, there were some big thoughts, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, nothing. Yeah, some big thoughts. I saw. It's funny, no, Michael. I, I looked at what the list was, and I could see how eyes would light up. And I was really taken by what you said first, which is the thing that you said you've been probably thinking the most about, which was about self kindness. I'm really curious about what that is in your world. Oh, well, I, yeah. I mean, I think for me, this it, it definitely came out as the first thought when Michael put the question to me and just said, you know, what's what's going on for you? What what might be a good topic of conversation? It was, well, if I'm honest, the first thing I did was just shut the email and went, oh, that's too big right now. because I think I was just bounced out of a nappy change or something. But then my kind of second thought was, oh, actually, self-kindness. Um, and it is something I've been thinking about sort of on and off for a few years now quite sort of actively and consciously at times and it all started for me back at the therapy session I was lucky enough to have some amazing therapy support after I had my first son Um, because you know as for many of us it's it's it was a difficult time it's the biggest change I've obviously ever been through and part of how I uh, received that wasn't particularly graceful or elegant uh, and uh, so you know and anyway I was fortunate enough to get some really incredible therapeutic support and I, I don't know how it's possible but I'd never heard of this idea of self-kindness before then and that does seem incredible to me when I think about the nature of the work that we do really you know coaching developing others 
you know, our whole, my, my for decades now, my focus has been people and what helps them to, you know, to be truly fulfilled and successful and whatever it is they might want in their lives. How had I not heard of this thing called self-kindness? And in all honesty, when she kind of put it to me and said, I'm wondering what it would be if you were to, to take on this idea of self-kindness, I just thought, and I, I actually turned around to her and said, I have no idea what you mean. Wow. And so, you know, I'm a, I would say I'm a bit of a novice to this. So that was only kind of four years ago now. And, you know, I just think it can mean a bazillion different things. But my take on it, I think initially my thinking was was where a lot of people go was, do I need a spa day? <laughs> is that what this self-kindness is all about? Um, but then, of course, now, I suppose, four years on, I realised for me there are a lot of different elements to it. And probably the number one for me is the, is the way I talk to myself in my own head. I'm going to go there. I'm going to talk about the voice in the head. Well, I, I don't know about you, Michael, but I'm just quite happy sitting here listening to Caroline. <laughs> well, I wanted to respond to what you said because I also equally find it really interesting and also where it came from in a therapeutic conversation because some years ago I ran a small workshop with some trainee counsellors and trainee psychotherapists called um, self-care for therapists and I took the concept of yoga nidra for that sort of deep relaxing process that I'm sure you're familiar with and and shared it with these these students and where it came from was reading a book by a therapist and it was a career therapist who'd been um, working with individuals and couples for like 30 or 40 years. And in this book, she was sharing her reflections on, on her career. And one of the things she said was, you know, whenever, when anyone ever asked her, you know, how do you cope with listening to people and hearing people's stories? And how do you cope with, you know, the trauma that sometimes people bring into the room? And she always thought she coped with it really well, you know, totally fine. And then it wasn't until she retired that she really started to pay attention to things. And the first thing she became aware of when she retired was that she couldn't sleep. She like just was up all night and just a bit frazzled and fried. And then, you know, some months went by and, and she started to think, well, you know, how come my how come I can't sleep? What what's what's up with my nervous system? Like and then she thought, you know, goodness me, maybe maybe I've not been fine. Maybe I've not coped with it. Maybe beneath the surface of those conversations, she's been taking in and absorbing some of the trauma, some of the stories, some of the narrative, some of the pain and vicariously, you know, taking that on board. And and I thought, God, you know, that's so interesting for therapists. Obviously, they're in the front line of that. But then equally, I suppose you don't have to be in a therapeutic conversation to appreciate that we all take on board other people's experience, other people's sense of things. You might work with someone who's highly anxious or you might, you know, live with someone who's who's in a slow mood or a, or whatever. And it's we're all very permeable, aren't we? And we we take we can take on people's stuff. Perhaps we're more sensitive to that than we than we realise. And I wonder for you, like with your new appreciation of self kindness, I'm wondering whether that relates. Oh, it definitely resonates. 
and for me it did it made me recall because this this all really did come about for me in a time of incredible change with with having my first son I've got two boys now and the thing about children I think is that they are these beautiful energetic beings aren't they that just express whatever's there and I think as the parent that evokes an awful lot in you and uh, those those feelings you feel for that other person are, are deep and they're strong and I think you absorb that as a parent you know all the time that's kind of living within you isn't it as well and yeah so that that definitely really resonates so what wasn't I lucky to come across this idea at that time just when I needed it the most I think um, and I and I also think that you know sometimes I mean I mentioned kind of the voice in the head or you know certainly one of the things I came to look at first to just gently inquire about within myself was you know how do I how do I talk to myself Am I even aware of how I talk to myself? And, you know, I think those those voices are, are, are quite often voices that we've held, aren't they, from the past? They're not, they're not really emerging in the moment, are they? They're, they're things that might have been triggered from very, you know, early formative even stages in our life. And until you become aware, as your lady did, that this was what was happening in her body, we don't really necessarily, I don't think, have the opportunity to be any different. I think it does all start with the awareness, whether you're noticing the voice in the head or the impact of, of, of trauma perhaps held within the body, others' trauma held within your body. Until you're aware of it, you don't have the access, do you, to move anywhere else, I don't think. Caroline, can I ask what, or Michael, what might that look like then as a as a practice? I'm just curious about what in you know, this never ending journey that people are on in in well, certainly you know from what you say about what we do is you're learning, I suppose, practices to either through the provocation of other people to help you. So with the awareness or the self talk, I'm I'm wondering how does that translate into something that you you know like. Michael's given himself a digital detox over the weekend and, and you said how you needed it, Michael, and, and what that's given you. And I'm wondering, you know, you talk about the spa day <laughs> um, and you know, obviously this goes a bit deeper than that. But um, as, as an experience or something that you do to be kind to yourself, I'm just curious what you what you might have learned about the practice of it. Well, I love the idea of yoga nidra because from what I understand of it, and I'm not I'm not a big yogi, I have to be honest, but the, the sort of access of the body kind of into the understanding of self is what I understand yoga nidra to be all about. And I do think in my own way, I guess I've taken on a bit of a practice because I'm, I'm one of um, life's big overthinkers. And in, in realising that, actually, a lot of my practice has been tuning into my body. So noticing sometimes quite late in the process when I'm in, you know, in a spin or in a bit of the grip. Some people will be familiar with the language of being in the grip of emotion or when I've got a bit stressed or, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes I'm quite far into that. But it's not too late to kind of stop and take a breath and just check in and say, hang on a minute, Caroline, you don't have to go any further if you don't want to. <laughs> no, what, let's just check in. And for me, often it's too big a question to say, what are you feeling right now and why? Although I am a bit inclined to that as well. But sometimes to just take a moment and just check in with my body. You know, how's my tummy feeling? Where's my breath held? Is it in my throat? Sometimes I get a little bit of a twinge or a pain in my throat, actually, when I'm a bit sad about something. And, you know, I'm not like many people in the world. I'm not super happy with that sad suite of emotions I'm much happier running the stressy anxiety suite of emotions but you know I've learned that when I get that little pain in my throat that actually oh I might be feeling a bit sad about something and just giving myself a bit of time just to to breathe 
and to to not judge and this is this is where I sort of talk about the the voice in the head bit because then if I take a moment to breathe check in with my body my next place to go might be oh what what thoughts were running through my head just before I got into a bit of a tizzy or a bit of a stress or whatever it was can I trace back and think about what I was thinking and and in that way I've been able to spot some patterns or some themes in my life of the things that sort of trigger me into getting a bit stressed and sometimes they're quite deep you know sometimes they are things where actually without even realize I've been thinking you know Caroline or you know you've not done good enough today you've not been enough sometimes they're quite big thoughts and other times they're just oh you're late again you know you're always late you know and but whatever it is that's my access to say okay take a breath and 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 maybe think some slightly different thoughts maybe with a little bit more of an open heart and a little bit more caring towards myself because there's always a context for this when you've got two preschool children to get out the door you know there's a lot going on and it's it's quite easy to become overwhelmed but of course they've been my biggest incentive if you like to work this out because I owe it to them as these beautiful energetic beings that absorb even more effectively than I do the energy and the emotion of me. You know, I owe it to them to be able to stop and take a breath and role model for them that it's it's okay to feel what I felt. It's okay to have those feelings and I've got a choice point here and I can take some breaths and I can check in with myself and I can make some different choices. That's probably been my biggest practice. And in response to Ben's comment about, you know, what do you do? I guess the doing is is through an attitude of compassionate inquiry for yourself, isn't it? That's what I'm hearing you, you're doing. You're inquiring within yourself what you're feeling, what you're thinking, where you're holding, uh, what you're sitting with, what you're, what you're aware of. And, and, and that's an attitude of intrigue, isn't it? In a non-judgmental way, an attitude of inquiry. And building on what you said there, Caroline, with having two children myself, often I catch myself in in similar moments, like you've said, and wondering where where this voice comes from or where this narrative or script comes from in my head, you know. And sometimes I don't think it's me. I think that sometimes the script is someone else. So I ask myself, you know, who is that within me? Often I'm I'm left with an awareness that, oh, that's my dad or, oh, that's my mum from when I was younger. So the thing for me, like if I'm if I if I catch myself with that narrative, it's something along the lines of, oh, that's that's not good enough or you're not good enough or, you know, that could be, you could be better or you didn't do that well enough. That sort of striving for perfection to be perfect. And and I, I, I don't think that's me. I think that was a message that I internalized. So. As a dad, my worry is, what am I putting onto my kids that they're internalizing that when they're 40, they're going to be having this same sort of or similar narrative or conversation with themselves. And they realize that that was me that put this into them. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> that's terrible. In some ways, it's inevitable. Like, how can I not? And I'm striving, and as a dad, I want to make sure that I'm not replaying the same things of my parents but I'll be playing something else. If it's not replaying them, it's something else. So they're going to get something. And and that's just the way it is. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know how I feel about that right now. <laughs> oh, goodness. You get there. 
Well, that was deep, wasn't it? That was deep. Yeah. <laughs> Ben's gone quiet. Well, I, I really feel like I want to bring Ben in as well because, um, you know, Ben, when we were doing our, our little just, and it, we didn't email much, did we? Let's be honest. We just had that kind of quick back and forth and said, let's wait for the conversation. But, you know, there was something that you mentioned that kind of popped into my head as we were speaking there about how we are with, with our clients. And like when we're coaching and we're working with people, what kind of way we need to be in order to to support them I mean Michael and I have talked about about children but other people that we care for in some forms in our lives are our clients and how we need to be with them and you'd kind of found that angle I think on this which was quite helpful I think um you know personally or professionally I think you know it's the if you're looking after yourself I think you're probably looking after other people better and I think the practice or the you know, whatever the context, I take a lot of in the last podcast about tending to to relationships or tending to um, people. I think as a coach or facilitator with people or or just as a friend, you know, family member, I, I think it's very similar. And that the expression I think we talked about, we talk about quite a lot is, you know, the on an aeroplane, there's a reason they tell you that, you know, in, in times of crisis that um, there's a reason they tell you to put your own oxygen mask on first. And I remember Michael's got a very um, annoying habit of just landing the right question at the right time. And all the, in the 20 years we've been friends. And I remember him saying to me once, you know, when I was having a bit of a download over, inevitably over probably a decent coffee somewhere, I said, you know, I was quite tired. He'd asked me how I was. And I said, I'm quite tired. I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot. I'm doing this for people. I'm doing that. I'm, and, you know, I was a little bit unaware of the impact the attention I was paying to others was having on me. So I was talking about the help I was offering and, and this and that. And, and I think that was, I suppose, in a way, I, I was clearly getting something from it in terms of meaning. And then Michael asked me, well, you know, all this help you give other people, Ben, who does that for you? Which stopped me in my tracks. And it pointed me, as you talk about you had when you had Teddy you know that you had the opportunity to get some therapy and Michael talks about the external provocation from you know, the people he's worked with in terms of therapeutic settings and and the book that you talk about and yeah so in my context I think for me it's the self-kindness is the biggest thing you can do for yourself and then for other people because you are more aware of what's going on for yourself and I you know the, in terms of practice I'm I'm you know I'm lucky enough to spend every uh, once a once a month I go to a supervision group and I we've known each other for three or four years or probably even longer now and the, the thing that Michael said about you know what's the story that goes on in your head what's the, the you know that who who is it that's talking well I do a lot of talking to myself some of which is helpful and some of which frankly isn't and um, I'm hoping it's not with me it does kind of blow my mind a bit though when you think about it so we've just talked about two contexts there children so being a parent you're actually three you talked about friendships people we care about in our lives doesn't matter whether you're a parent or not frankly and then you know clients and 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 groups that we work with professionally in every single one of those contexts what we offer to people as as far as we possibly can is is quite gentle acceptance you know non-judgment and open heart and open mind and we we're doing that because we think this is going to you know help that person to be their healthiest most fulfilled most successful if that's what they want most high performing self you don't parent someone or coach someone in the way we talk to ourselves in our head so it kind of 
it kind of blows my mind that we we have the audacity to talk to ourselves like that I mean I get that it's not all that conscious and as soon as you do become conscious of it you you have a rethink but so I think I think probably from that point of view you do have to do the good change stuff don't you and say you know what's my what's my intention when I parent myself like that when I'm strict parent and aggressive parent and tough parent and parent who's like got there with metaphorically not literally whipping myself into shape to do better you know what's my intention um and then is there another way of doing this because I would never do that with people around me you're right and the I have this thing that you know when a situation that bothers me pops up or I'm not sure how to deal with or I I have this narrative in my head going on which is about maybe justification or it might be you know this person said this and so what I'm thinking of saying to them is this and what's been really helpful for me in terms of and it's not easy because as you said to catch yourself in the moment of you know to be kind to yourself as opposed to keeping this almost subjective view of yourself the the thing that's helped me a lot and it's a real work in progress is almost bring things from the subjective which you're viewing everything through your own you know limitations your own lens based on you know childhood you know all your development and all of the things that, that that we fear to bring that to some some degree of objectivity one of the things that really struck me a couple of years ago was in the supervision group I'm in there's my mentor Pat and his lovely wife Meg and she said to me when I was describing a situation she talked about the difference in rehearsing the narrative which is something that I do in my head she said there's a difference in rehearsing the narrative and and instead of rehearsing the narrative just saying how are you feeling about that situation so what is it triggering in you and it's not that the other person's done something that, that make you make me feel it's not because I make myself feel a certain way but to put, put the gap between stimulus and response and say I'm finding myself there's a little thing in my head explaining the situation to make it feel better and it's not because I'm thinking about it a lot the thing that puts a real break for me in that is just to say actually the reason this is bothering me is because it makes me feel like I've not done a good enough job or the fact it's the fact the fact that I'm not maybe I, I don't feel as valued as I want to, or maybe it's the fact that there's something about maybe the risk to explaining to somebody how I'm feeling about something might might put a relationship at risk, which is really important to me. And then, in fact, possibly challenging that they're not facts at all. <laughs> you know, I'm noticing in your language there, you're saying fact, and actually, it's true. It's clearly true because it's going on in my head. Yeah. But I think, I think that the objectivity which comes with almost stepping aside and saying, okay, I'm having that kinesthetic reaction or I'm having that feeling in the centre of my chest or I'm, I'm having that sinking feeling in my stomach and then being able to be curious about what that is and then giving that some sort of description or label helps to make it more objective. And then you know, I'm sure in therapy and coaching in all disciplines where you are a provocation for other people. You can't take yourself out of that dynamic. You know, you've got to be aware of your own shit so you're not putting it on anybody else. And But that's not a criticism. It's more of a, okay, that's that thing I do. And the more I talk about how I feel about it, the, the more I'm recovering what's really going on in that situation for me rather than something that I keep at a sort of surface and subjective level. Sorry, that's a really long sort of... No, no, absolutely really resonates. And I think it's become kind of popularised, hasn't it? Is that the right expression? So you hear it all over, like just a secret between between you and the listeners. I do occasionally watch some quite bad, trashy TV with like American, yeah, American reality type things. And I think it's become really popular. There is a reason 
friends. Michael won't admit to it. <laughs> Mike, Michael would sit there going, I have no idea what these people are talking about. I have to admit, it's a huge guilty pleasure for it. And it's become really popularised, hasn't it, in language for people to say, I own my own shit. And yet, you, what you're talking about is that kind of as a mm. genuine, as a real lived process, if you like, or practice of saying, actually, this isn't in the now. This isn't held by another person. This is something that I can hold. And that's incredibly powerful. Mm. That's not about putting yourself under any more pressure. Because I think with this becoming part of popular language without people necessarily fully appreciating what's there, I think people unwittingly are putting themselves at the victim of situations rather than in a powerful position like you're sort of referring to. You know, you're really talking about self appreciation i think and, and with the right language some real compassion with what you're holding and then the space to actually let it go let it go it doesn't it doesn't exist in this moment it doesn't need to be there i can make some different choices and i think that's brilliant and i also loved when you were speaking what really resonates to me is you're not always looking to think your way out of it because i think for me i mean i'm i'm one of life's big overthinkers and and it's a safe i think in advert i'm doing some little fingers in the air here i can't help myself it's you know i believe it to be a safer place to be but actually what i've realized is that sometimes you can't think your way out of this stuff at all and i again i you know i look at my boys because they are they have been for the last few years my my greatest teacher they you know they teach me that they can feel their way out of things you know, they they self-soothe. They, you know, with their with their cuddly being the most obvious example, when they feel sad, that 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 comforts them, that feeling and experience of being with that cuddly and how they grasp it and what they do, they feel their way out of it. And they've developed that naturally. That's not something I've taught them. They do that because that's what they need. And you know, when you, we see it in nature as well, don't we? I, um and Michael, I'm sorry, I'm looping together so many. This is this is a section to cut, goodness me. Um you know, Michael, when you first started, you talked about literally shaking off an experience you'd had this morning. So it was a kind of physical shaking off. And I've listened to a couple of brilliant podcasts lately that came back to the same theme, which is that one of them talked about the fact that when little birds, they if they accidentally fly into a glass window and they knock themselves out for a bit, when they wake up, they shake like crazy to shake out the unpleasant experience in their bodies. And you see it all over nature that animals do that and you know children pick it up as an instinct and yet sometimes I don't think we permit ourselves that that chance to kind of use our bodies and our feeling space to to move out what we don't choose to hold within our bodies anymore and for some people that's a physical shake off I'm also really into a good sigh do you love a good sigh just like a oh you know just out I love it. I read somewhere years ago that as a species we're the only species on earth that doesn't shake off trauma yeah you see a you see a, an animal in the wild suddenly freeze because they think there might be a predator and then when the fit when the danger is gone there's a moment where they shake themselves they they have this moment where they shake off that probably adrenaline or whatever it is in their body they shake it off and then they move on some but what we do is we We'll probably build a story about it you know i'm sure a you know a golden eagle sailing through the air probably probably pretty present to what's going on around him and he's probably not thinking oh she looked at me a bit funny in the nest this morning yeah i'm pretty sure that's what's going on with my throat the whole just swallowing the feeling back down to the point where my you know my throat actually hurts 
so you know i do love a good sigh maybe i'll try sighing it out from now on and um, i don't know this is this is curious isn't it in the context of self-kindness but the more i've explored it the more i mean i don't get me wrong i'd still take a spa day but the more i think about it in more mindful terms i think in every moment there is an opportunity to be kind to yourself really michael what does what, what does it mean to you well um, there was a couple of things that both of you mentioned. One of them was when you were speaking, Ben, about the importance of traversing the objective and the subjective and moving between those two polarities. And then, for instance, our identity is wrapped up in the intrapsychic and the interpersonal, like the, the stuff that is in me and my mind, and then the stuff that's between us. And the importance of traversing from one to the other constantly perhaps even as a self-care practice, because often it's when we get stuck at one end, like if we get stuck at the intrapsychic, you know, the oh, what, what did she mean by that? What did he say? And then the stories that come out of that and emerge. But then also, you know, we can get stuck at the other end, the interpersonal. And perhaps what we're saying here is that it's that constant movement that's really necessary for us to move through the world with more ease and more with more care. And then, and then there was something that you said there, Caroline, about your your son and his and his teddy, and how he knows how to self soothe. And he said, "Well, that's not something I taught him." And I was going to say, "Well, I disagree. I think it is something you taught him. You just didn't realise you did." In those moments when he was a baby and you were feeding him and you were without realising soothing him his his needs, and then we set up these teddies as like little transitional objects that they can go to for soothing when you're no longer available. And then somehow when we're adults, we lose our transitional object. We lose the thing that soothed us when our parents weren't available. And, and maybe there's a, there's a thing here we're saying, well, maybe we need to reclaim our teddies. Maybe we need to reclaim our, an object that soothes us as a way of self-care. Do you know what exactly what my therapist said to me? Because I used to have a little blanket when I was a kid and it had a little silky bit on it, which I really just loved touching. And if I ever felt really, if I was ever experienced, whatever I was experiencing and I recognised that need to self-soothe, I'd go and get my blanket and help hold the silky corner. And she said to me, you know, this. she brought forward this idea of, well, what do you do to, to self-soothe now? And she um, was South African and said there's a, there's a word in South African called fraudling fraudling I oh, will have to look it up but this idea that in adulthood it, it legitimizes it I think by giving this label this language to it that you can create this self-soothing motion we don't really have it in uh, do we in the English language have a word for that for adults to because we have like fidget spinners and stuff but that's more like a stress response isn't it but genuine self-soothing I'm not sure it's something that's in our common language for adults to have that comforter is it well, I think sometimes we think of the word pacifier, don't we? But there, again, the connotation is different with that too. And then again, that's something that's lost as we reach adulthood. And I was going to say that during the during the lockdown period, I watched the programmes with Grace and Perry, the artist, and a lot of his art over the years has been to do with his teddy from when he was a child called Alan Measles. 
And during the lockdown period, he made a big piece with Alan Measles at the centre of it. And it's something that's carried all the way through his work. And I wonder if it's something that he understands, like, as an artist, he understands the, the how necessary it is for us to keep hold of the things that soothe us. And um, I can't help but think now that, you know, they just get lost. I wonder also on the Teddy principle which is kind of blowing my mind at the moment. And I don't know, Caroline, if it's blowing yours because one of your lovely sons is called Teddy. Yeah, Teddy, Teddy, who has a Teddy? Teddy, Teddy, who has a Teddy. Yeah. Um, metaphorically, Michael, I think what's the process that having that metaphorical Teddy gives you as a practice? And how does that help you to either consciously or unconsciously take, take a moment out to, to help yourself with it? I think we're inviting a challenge here, aren't we? We're inviting this as an opportunity to, for us all to rediscover something that that can soothe us. And it, and it might not be a teddy, it might be a bracelet, it might be a stone that we keep in our pockets, it might be, it could be any object that we can imbue with a feeling or a, a symbolism that we could hold to be important and which represents self-care. Mm. I think it does potentially take different forms I mean I can sometimes get comfort from from a scent I mean people like candles don't and I think you know smell is incredibly evocative of, of of certain emotional states and I think by association we can we can you know bring a certain smell can instantly calm us and and have us feel a certain way which I think is why looping you know full circle back almost to this spa experience it's more than just going and laying down and getting a massage it's the whole sense of what that space permits it it, it gives you the chance to to breathe more doesn't it to to sit and and read a magazine in the in the relaxation space to listen to the most calming music and um you know all of those other things which might not be a physical object but definitely give us access to feel or to experience or to be in a certain place that we might not permit at other times so i, I think the senses give us give us that space that opportunity what that triggers in me is the whether it's a physical object or a smell or a just a, a practice of some sort which is the metaphorical side of being a teddy it's what does that allow you to do for yourself when you have that provocation you know it's the you see people who have the you know, elastic band that they snap on their wrist or the practice they go through where they allow themselves that time to do the things that we've talked about in terms of self-kindness or compassion I think that's really curious for me about how do you provoke that in yourself and not just have the object but what do you do or what does that object do for you because you're anchoring a state of self-kindness to something be it physical or be it a practice for me. Gone off on all sorts of different lines of inquiry about that and I, and I keep sitting thinking about my blanket for when I was little I don't have it anymore maybe my parents do maybe I should just go back and find the blanket and see well as we look at the clock on this lovely Monday morning with the excitement of finally having Caroline with us I'm wondering where do, where do we leave each other as as we finish with what we've spoken about well I have a lot, <laughs> I have a lot to go and overthink about <laughs> You allow yourself a sigh there, Caroline. That was a sigh. Oh my goodness, I'm living it. Good for me. See, this is the thing. I think you know, I'm signing out with some self congratulation. I don't know. Some of you are going to love that. Some of you are going to hate it. You know, but I'm I'm signing out thinking, yeah, I'm going to carry on being my own nurturing parent as much as I can, and 
and you know now more than ever now because i'm a a mum now because i'm a coach now because these extraordinary times i i do i owe it to myself <laughs> and i'm gonna keep doing it and i've really loved chatting i echo i echo that caroline you couldn't have said it more poignantly Thank you for joining us. It's been super to have you with us, Caroline. And Michael, thank you. Thank you, guys. I would just leave people with a sense of be kind to yourself and think about how you do that. Mm